0: Have you tried peanut with your baby yet? So intact nuts and thick globs of nut butters are choking hazard for babies, so We can't do that, but we do need to get peanut protein into your baby early and often to help lower the risk of peanut allergy down the road. So my favorite way to do peanut for baby lead weaning is using the Puffworks Baby Peanut Puffs. Now, these are not those little starchy puffs that earlier eaters can't pick up, the ones you see at the grocery store in the container that oftentimes contain added sugar, sodium, and refined grains. No, the Puffworks Baby Peanut Puffs have no added sugar. They're about the size of your adult pinky finger, which is the perfect length for baby lead weaning so i have students and parents always asking about like different puffs i saw one today that a mom asked me about it had three different allergens in it which makes no sense because you can't observe for a reaction if your baby is trying three new allergenic foods at once how do you know which of the ingredients is causing the reaction the only potential allergenic ingredient in the Puffworks Baby peanut puffs is peanut. You can get 15% off of Puffworks Baby peanut puffs if you use my affiliate discount code BabyLed. So head to puffworks.com and enter that code BabyLed L-E-D, at checkout. And good luck to you guys trying peanut.
1: So OIT really is about the family taking proactive management of their child's or their own food allergy. OIT absolutely has to be done under the supervision of an experienced, world certified allergist. The last thing we wanna do is give somebody a dose that's gonna cause a reaction.
0: Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. If your baby has a diagnosed food allergy, you might feel overwhelmed by the idea of avoidance of that offending food for the indefinite future. But oral immunotherapy, or OIT, offers a promising alternative whereby an allergic person can gradually learn to eat or tolerate increasingly larger amounts of the offending food protein working their way towards desensitization. So right now in the United States, the only FDA approved treatment for food allergy is a peanut protein OIT product called Palforzia. But there are a small number of board certified allergists who use commercial food products to offer OIT as a service in their offices. And there are a lot of studies underway to evaluate how OIT works and what the best practices are. But my guest today is Dr. David Stukas. He's the director of the Food Allergy Treatment Center at Nationwide Children's Hospital. He's also a professor of clinical pediatrics at the Ohio State University College of Medicine. And he's perhaps one of the world's best known pediatric allergists. Dr. Stukas is very active on Instagram. He's at AllergyKidsDoc. And today, Dr. Stukas is here to talk about oral immunotherapy or OIT and helping babies become less reactive to allergenic foods.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back.
0: Okay, I know you said you just literally talked about OIT all morning long, so I'm excited to have this conversation. But before we get started, what's new at Nationwide Children's Hospital? What are any exciting work projects that you're working on or involved in right now that you can update us on?
1: Oh, yeah, thanks for asking. So it's just ongoing growth of our amazing food allergy treatment center Uh, where, you know, we've seen, I think, oh my gosh, almost 3,000 families since we opened our door a couple of years ago. And uh, we've expanded our approaches to everything from diagnosis to food challenges. We have two psychologists on staff with us, which are really great resources for all the anxiety that goes along with that diagnosis. And then uh, oral immunotherapy and uh, we're involved in some clinical research trials. It's just, it's fun. It's a it's a busy, fun place with uh, lots of positive energy.
0: Totally biased here, but tell me about the dietitians on your team and how amazing they are.
1: Ah uh-huh. So we don't. Have, so that's my. That's my next step. We, I don't have anybody on site, which bothers me uh, for budgetary reasons. But we do have folks that we
0: can readily refer to in our. our Wait, time out. There's two psychologists and no dietitian. Oh yeah, it's. Oh. It, we're working on it. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll continue to be an advocate for the role of the registered dietitian in pediatric food allergy treatment. Uh, but today I wanted to talk about oral immunotherapy or OIT, which. For people with food allergy and parents of kids with food allergy, it certainly sounds more appealing than like, just avoid that allergenic food indefinitely. So what is OIT? How does it work? And then also, if you don't mind adding in, like, does it work for babies? Because our audience is primarily parents of babies who are six to 12 months of age, some of whom do have diagnosed food allergies
1: great place to start um, one thing we spend a lot of time talking to every family who's interested in it or we bring it up to them is really understanding exactly what it is what it entails and why we're doing it when oit was first started to be investigated you know over a decade ago the reason why is because there are people with food allergy that are exquisitely sensitive to very small amounts like trace amounts uh, the vast majority of people are not but there are those that are and oit is a way to reliably give them small amounts of their food allergen increasing it over time on a daily consistent basis, which can sort of reset the immune system and increase the threshold amount they need to eat to cause a severe allergic reaction. It is not a cure for the vast majority of people with food allergy. Uh, We also want to make sure we clarify the diagnosis. So it started out as being a treatment option to help protect people from accidentally taking a bite of something and hopefully not causing a severe reaction. But now it's been sort of expanded to, uh, you know, I've seen families that their children aren't even actually allergic. They just had a, a false positive on testing and they were told that they need OIT in their life. Nobody needs OIT from a medical standpoint, uh, but it can provide a very proactive way to sort of manage food allergy and sort of provide that peace of mind. We can get into some of the details, but, you know, I I just kind of want to start there. Like, just really understanding why am I doing this? Is my child actually allergic in the first place uh, before you even think about it?
0: And I appreciate that history because I think we did used to hear historically it was like, oh, this is a preventative measure. But now it seems to be kind of more curative. And like, I just like to get your vibe on it, because also I know things differ the way we do things in the United States with some other countries. Is OIT something that has been going on for a long time as a treatment modality or whatever it may be in Europe? What is is new here? Are we kind of on the cutting edge here? How do we compare to the world of food allergy treatment with OIT stuff? You know,
1: it does vary based upon location. Um, I think that, you know, it's been used in private practice allergy offices in the United States for over a decade. Um, we've learned a lot from the way they've been doing it. I think it's important to note that there's only one FDA approved OIT product. Uh, that's for peanuts. Uh, It's not a medicine. There's nothing magical about it. It's just peanut flour that's measured out very carefully. Um, But a lot of folks have been just using regular food to help desensitize. There are other approaches as well. So oral immunotherapy is eating it and swallowing it. Uh, There's drops under the tongue. So sublingual immunotherapy for foods, which are much more advanced in regards to other countries compared to the United States. Uh, We're starting to kind of catch up from a research standpoint and putting that into practice. But yeah, I mean, it's been around for a while and, and we've learned a lot about it.
0: I'm just curious about your thoughts. I know you've always been like very food first. I love interviewing you. We talk about the benefits of introducing the foods to babies that they don't need to buy fancy expensive supplement programs to get exposure to these food proteins. But I can see OIT gaining in popularity and going the direction of like drug companies being like, oh, let's medicalize all of these food proteins when it's like, shouldn't we just be using the food? So what do you guys do in your clinic? Do you do food based introductions or are you doing some of these like titrated, smaller, non-food medical products? I know there's, I guess, three different ways to introduce the protein. What do you guys prefer just from a practice standpoint or just your you know, personal preference?
1: Yeah, one thing I, I forgot to mention, and I think is the most important part of this whole conversation is OIT absolutely has to be done under the supervision of an experienced, certified allergist. Uh, there's a lot of math involved. Uh, the last thing we want to do is give somebody a dose that's going to cause a reaction. But so here, let's walk through sort of some of the details, I guess. So OIT really is about the family taking proactive management of their child's or their own food allergy. Uh, this involves daily ingestion of specific amounts of that food protein, which is gradually increased every couple of weeks until you we reach a maintenance dose. Consistency is the key because reactions can occur. So if you take somebody with a known food allergy and you give them the food they're allergic to, you could cause an allergic reaction. Now we try to minimize that as much as possible by being consistent with the dosing, have a full stomach when you take it, no intense exercise for about two hours after the daily dose because that can change the body's response to that food protein, and then really you know, good communication with the supervising allergist. And then those doses are titrated very carefully every couple of weeks. We often have them come into the office for the next dose to make sure they tolerate it until you reach this predetermined maintenance dose. While you're receiving this daily treatment and up to the maintenance, what it does is it helps kind of desensitize the immune system. If you stop treatment, you go back to being allergic. So that's why it is not curative. But while you're on the treatment, some people can uh, start to incorporate more of that food into their diet. Uh, But you can have inconsistent dosing. So a lot of teenagers kind of fight back and they're tired of taking their their dose every day and and non-adherence is a problem. Uh, For toddlers and younger children, sometimes it's more the taste aversion that we deal with. Uh, but it's it's very important for every family to really understand what this entails. And it's them, you know, taking over management essentially on a daily basis. This isn't like you give a little bit here and a little bit there. Uh, it really is very measured out and very precise. And we just use uh, food. So we use different food products and we know dose equivalents for, you know, this is, we're talking like milligram doses of protein that we're giving. Uh, for instance, you know, one peanut kernel contains roughly 300 milligrams of protein. There are some of our patients that we start at one milligram. Uh, for their dose. So, you know, that small of a dose. Others, we start a little bit higher based upon their threshold and history and things like that. Uh, and then you have to measure it out. But real food seems to work out best, especially when you can mix it in. The- you know, who's
0: really good at measuring milligrams of peanut protein or dietitian. So in the future, if you didn't want to do the math, that's kind of our thing. But I love the idea that you guys using real food. And I do appreciate that about you and your work that you'd really do prioritize food first, Curious if families graduate to being able to do OIT at home, or is this something you always have to do in a medical facility? Like, when's it over?
1: Yeah, well, essentially never. Uh, So we're we're still learning, like, what does this mean? But when families start OIT, they have to be prepared. This is years-long therapy. It's not like you reach 12 months and you're done. This is consistent dosing. Now, I think we're going to learn over time that we can probably alter the dosing to, you know, every other day, once every few days or, or things like that. And it's probably bridging the gap until we actually get better therapies uh, that don't carry the risk of causing a reaction with every dose and you can still offer that protection. Uh, but I want people to be prepared for, like, if we're doing this, we're committing to let's do this for years and years and years, at least until the next good thing comes along. And I think there's some promising research in
0: that realm as well. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and works with your lifestyle as a parent or caregiver. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on the journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. And getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. And I think this is particularly true for parents. I know firsthand how you can feel torn between your old, baby-free, carefree self and this new, very challenging role of parenting a small person. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding, as well as talking through, things that can help you know what you want or why you react the way you do. Discover your potential with better help. Visit betterhelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month today. And you mentioned that the FDA approval for peanut only is, are you guys in your clinic? Do you do OIT with foods for like shellfish or is it just certain food allergies or all of the big nine allergenic foods can be treated with OIT?
1: Yeah, we're happy to offer it for any food, but um, in general, it tends to come down to peanuts, tree nuts and sesame. And, you know, we're hesitant to offer milk and egg oral immunotherapy to very young children because the majority of them outgrow it on their own. And the last thing I want to do is, you know, start somebody on this path where they think they need this treatment every day for years and years when it may just go away in a year or two. So that's much less likely. Uh, There certainly is a role for it for older children who have persistent milk and egg allergy. But yeah, it tends to focus more on peanuts, tree nuts and sesame because sesame now especially is much harder to avoid because when they change the... um, labeling laws in the united states in january more companies actually started adding sesame intentionally to their products as a workaround they said well we can't guarantee our facility is clean so we're just going to add it in so now you know these baked goods that previously didn't have sesame now contain sesame flour which is really problematic uh, for somebody who was eating them before without any issues so a lot of families who have children with sesame allergy that's what we're doing and we're trying to desensitize with the goal of like let's get to the point where they can eat these things and not have a reaction
0: so you mentioned there's the food-based introduction, that there's the sublingual. Is there a patch as well? And do you guys do any of that or how does that work?
1: Well, that one's not available yet. So yes, the, the peanut patch, uh, our, our epicutaneous immunotherapy, involves, you know, microgram dosing on the skin and you leave it on the skin every day. And over time, uh, it desensitizes the immune system to also increase that threshold amount that you need to cause a reaction. The data look great. Uh, when the company went to the FDA, oh my gosh, almost two years ago, I think, the FDA said, we want the sticky part of the patch to be stickier. So uh, we're actually going to be one of the sites that's going to be involved in the trial to demonstrate that it stays on the back as long
0: She's as Chief stickiness happens. officer, I love it.
1: Yeah, we're a stickiness officer. So, but yeah, the data look really good. The side effects are much uh, less compared to ingestion of it. And it's interesting. So when you, when you eat it and swallow it, it increases the risk of causing an allergic reaction, including anaphylaxis. So families need to know, like, you, you're not getting rid of your epinephrine. This isn't something you can just kind of do a, as you see fit. It's you need to monitor and be careful with that. Whereas sublingual immunotherapy has less risk for those types of severe side effects. And then with the patch on the skin, uh, that risk goes down even more. It's going to be a nice option whenever it's available.
0: One of the things that kind of inspired me to reach out to you and say, can we talk about this on the podcast was because I was interviewing another mom for a different type of episode. She works in mental health and we're talking about anxiety management for parents starting solid foods. She just mentioned as an aside, and she's Canadian. She had recently done OIT for peanut allergy with her child. And, you know, we always kind of compare and despair when you look at the Canadian health system, like, you know, they're (laughs) 15-month-long maternity leaves. And like, I mean, I just thought I was like so jealous of Canadians and what they have access to in some regards. But she said it was not something that was covered by their health insurance program. She had to pay out of pocket. So for American families, is OIT covered or is it expensive? How does that work?
1: Yes and no. Uh, You know, some practices have different, you know, ways that they go about it. I work in academic settings, so we absorb a lot of costs associated with these. But typically, the cost entails just buying the food. Uh, and we do have, you know, special types of flowers and things like that, that have specifics that make it easier to put into a solution for starting at very low doses. Uh, sometimes we need to have scales because we're measuring out very precise amounts on the milligram range and that's kind of it. Otherwise, what gets billed to insurance is when you come into the office for the updosing visits every couple of weeks. Uh, but most of those are really just, you know, they, they should be covered about insurance and there's special codes that we can use that are accepted by that. So that all should be figured out for the most part, at least in the United States.
0: Can I ask you about the terms desensitization versus tolerance? What's the difference between those terms? And are you aiming for one or the other with OIT? You mentioned this is kind of an ongoing thing, so it might be a question you can't answer. I'm not sure. Oh,
1: no, no, no. This is that's a great question. And we absolutely should talk about that. So the terminology matters. And I actually bring a flashback. Oh, my gosh, this is pre-pandemic. I was asked to give a talk on this at a national meeting. I spent 30 minutes just talking about terminology. And it took me a while to get used to it because it like these are are concepts we weren't quite used to discussing. Okay. So desensitization, we can pretty much desensitize anybody to anything. So if you have a true antibiotic allergy and you're in the hospital and you need that antibiotic to treat your infection, we can desensitize you. We give you really small amounts. We build it up, you know, over time until you can tolerate it. A desensitization means as long as you're receiving that allergen on a consistent basis, you will not have an allergic reaction to it. Once you stop that treatment, you revert back to being allergic. So it is not curative. So with OIT, while you're receiving that daily dose on a consistent basis for years and years and years, you're desensitized, which means that you often can't freely eat it. Some people can, uh, but it should protect you from having reactions to small amounts. Now, tolerance is you're just not allergic to it. So it means you can get exposed whenever you want, however much you want. It doesn't matter. And what we're trying to do with OIT in some people, and the data show if you start it younger, like in babies at 12 to 24 months, there's a higher percentage in that age group that may develop sustained unresponsiveness. Meaning you treat with OIT for a, a period of time, one year, two years, three years. You stop treatment, you wait, say three months, four months without eating that food, you go to eat it again and no reaction occurs. So that's that's the goal here, right? That's essentially a cure for this. Um, But, you know, it's not like everybody can achieve that. That's not a realistic expectation of this treatment. Some can. And we're hoping that if we started a little bit earlier, that maybe we can achieve that in a higher percentage of people.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about that infant population? Are you working with babies between six and 12 months of age and any insights that you can share about OIT for them versus maybe an older pediatric population?
1: Yeah. So six to 12 months is a little bit young. Typically, we start you know thinking about this around 12 months, but it depends on when they present. So typically, we, you know, we don't get patients until they start eating food. Uh, so uh, food allergy reactions can occur in infants. There's a misconception that uh, infants have more severe reactions the first time. And that's actually false. It's the opposite. You know, most of the time, babies, when they have a food allergy reaction, they get some hives and then they throw up one time. Uh, but it's it's very unusual for, like, their airway to, to swell or have difficulty breathing or, or severe anaphylaxis. It certainly can occur, but that's not the expectation. Um, so when this, when that history develops, we evaluate and if we determine a food allergy, now we're having conversations of, well, um, do you want to just avoid and repeat testing in a year and see if they outgrow it? Uh, or do you want to be more proactive and try to start OIT with this possibility that, you know, we can desensitize and get it in their diet in some realm? Uh, and things like that. So the conversation's changed.
0: Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. My phone is bursting at the seams with photos of our kids. And over the years, I've tried all sorts of different ways to store and share them with family members. So for a while, I would just text out pictures to the grandparents, and then we tried a shared photo album. But some people were using Google Photos, and others preferred Facebook Messenger for pictures. And the more kids we had, the messier it got. Then I stumbled across the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes, and it's totally free. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching folders to find the picture of the kid that you need right now. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home which if you think about how quickly your baby is changing, it's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document the last month of your baby's life. If you're looking to level up your photo sharing and organization game with a secure, one-stop, easy-to-use photo organization app, head over to the App Store, search Family Album, download the Family Album app, and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. And for families that have children with food allergies, maybe they're just learning about considering OIT, where should they start researching as to whether or not this might be a plausible approach for them to manage their family's food allergy?
1: Yeah. So as you know, I spend a lot of time on social media as a medical professional. And if you want to find some really bad, outdated information... Um, go to Instagram on Instagram, Twitter. (laughs) So please be very, very careful. Uh, other people are sharing stories as with anything on Instagram, like people are sharing the best sides of themselves and you're not getting all the details. Um, so I always recommend starting with one's own personal doctor or allergist or go to vetted professional or advocacy organizations. So we have the American Academy and American College of Allergy Asthma and Immunology. Uh, there's wonderful patient advocacy organizations out there, kids with food allergies, uh, Allergy and Asthma Foundation of America, among others. Uh, so I recommend starting there because they have medical and scientific councils and advisory boards that vet the information before they even post on their website.
0: Well, I so appreciate you, you always, your willingness. I know you're super busy, but to come on and explain these topics were really confusing to parents. The first time you came on the podcast was two and a half years ago at this point. so. Just curious, how have things changed in the last two or three years with regards to OIT and how you guys have been using it? And then where do you think it's going in the next two to three or four or five years?
1: Everything's changed since we last spoke. Just our understanding of the pathophysiology and and different types of food allergy and threshold doses and the way we can truly individualize management. It's all completely different. and It's going to change a year from now. So when I have families come in for their annual follow-up, I'm always excited to see them because our conversation is changing. Uh, you know, we're going to have a, a device soon where you can spray epinephrine in the nose and not have to use the auto-injector. That's going to be available in the next year, hopefully. There's another company looking at strips under the tongue for epinephrine for treatment of anaphylaxis. And then with OIT, it's just more and more places are using it. But I think as it expands, that's where we ha- really have to be cautious about why are we doing it? Are we choosing the optimal patient? Are we putting somebody on OIT that isn't allergic in the first place so it's going to outgrow their allergy in another year? Uh, and that's where I see the danger of it. Now, some families may not care, and they just say, I don't care as long as you know, I'm treating them and I don't have to worry about it. And that's fine. But that's where shared decision making comes into play. And I think that's a really important part of it.
0: Thank you so much for talking about OIT and kind of introducing us to this topic. If our audience wants to learn more about the work that you do at OIT in general, where do you suggest that they start researching?
1: We have a great website. So you can just look at Nationwide Children's Hospital and you can try, you know, Food Allergy Treatment Center. And then uh, if anybody's interested, you can find me mostly on Instagram these days, not on that Place formerly known as Twitter, uh, but I'm at AllergyKidsDoc. Thank you so much, Dr. Stukas. Thank you.
0: Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Dr. Stukas. I always appreciate the opportunity to chat with him and pick his brain. He does not mince words. I love that he cuts right to the chase, tells you about the science. He's got a mix of research and that practitioner expertise sprinkled in. I'm going to share more of Dr. Stukas's resources on the show notes for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 366. A special thank you to our partners at Airwave Media. If you guys like podcasts that feature food and science and using your brain, then Airwave Media has some great podcasts for you to listen to. We are online at blwpodcast.com. And thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Like a lot of moms out there, I will totally admit I am quite type A. I am a total taskmaster. And one of my weekly work tasks is to review the feedback forms that are new students in my program, which is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro, that they leave for us. So basically, this form asks a lot of questions about you and your baby and your baby's feeding and medical history, any concerns that you might have or fears about starting solid foods. And all of this data helps me when I'm answering parent questions inside of our weekly live office hours so I can then tailor my response to your particular baby and situation, right? Because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to what your baby's eating, right? Because maybe your baby has an egg allergy or another mom in the program. She might really be struggling with how to make meat safe because she doesn't like to cook. So this week on the forum, there's a new mom named Janine, and she wrote, and this is her quote, I researched a lot on the internet, and I have a lot of books. I saw a lot of other baby-led weaning programs, but in the end, this is the one that I realized is what I'm really looking for as a new mom. I love that Katie's program has a community and that there are videos for everything you need to know and how to make the foods. And what I love the most is that there's already a meal plan ready. And this just like stopped my heart because this is exactly why I created the Baby Lead Weaning with Katie Ferraro program. I wanted to literally put everything that you need to know about starting solid food safely in one place with a super easy to follow 20 full weeks meal plan. Okay. There's 20 weeks because it's five foods a week. I want your baby to get to those hundred new foods before they turn one. Cause I also know you have a lot going on as a new mom and hunting and pecking all over the internet to try to figure out what am I going to feed this baby? That is not the solution. So if you want to check out the baby led weaning with Katie Ferraro program, I would be honored to work with you and your baby. You can head to babyledweaning.co to get started. And hopefully I'll be reading your feedback soon too.